0: Take the Checking Account Challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with Royal's mobile app,
1: receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash Royal Challenge, insured by NCUA. Bye. Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Mike Russo, Anthony LaPanta, coming to you. It's the first uh, podcast, so we haven't done a live show in a while. But don't worry, we are back. Uh, May 25th, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. at Elsie's. We haven't been in Elsie's in a while, but Elth- Elsie's in northeast Minneapolis. Really looking forward to uh, returning to uh, my old stomping grounds. I used to live down about a mile away from there. Um, so just excited to be back, Anthony.
0: Yeah, it's excited to be back in my kitchen. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is. It's it's nice, but we've had some fun uh, times over at Split Rocks and uh, Tuttle's, and uh, thanks to Bill Guerin for coming out a couple of weeks ago. Boy, doesn't that seem it's like a century it, ago? It huh? Seems
0: like forever ago, doesn't it? Yeah, and it really it was, does. And at that time, so much promise. Well, and so much anticipation, and the. I mean, we'll get into all the details of the series, but the one thing that always catches me by surprise at the end of a season is the finality. Yeah. and the suddenness of when it ends. And you're like me, where you've been thinking about this team, looking forward to the next game, the next trip, the next matchup, back of your mind, the what the next story is. For me, it's the graphics we're going to build for the next show, the matchup, what we want to talk about in the pregame show. And you've been thinking about that basically nonstop since mid-September when camp starts. And then the horn sounds in St. Louis one day, and it's... Over. over And you are supposed to be able to just shut your brain off and say, all right, season's over, let's move on. And it just, it doesn't feel right. You get on the bus to leave the rink and it just feels like, it, it's almost like you can't believe that it just happened. And I, I don't know if you were still in the press box, but the Blues victory song is the Beach Boys song, the we'll have fun, fun, fun. Mm-hmm. And that the woo, Part of that song has been in my mind ever since because it just kept going over and over and over again in an empty building.
1: Yeah, I uh, yeah, I look at it similarly only from a writing perspective. You, you think about all the stories that you write and the reporting that you do to tee up a series, and the number of hours you send it, spend at your laptop to put together like that. You know the goalie rotation story and that Parise, that uh Parisi that Kaprizov um. And uh Fiala story and I mean, you know, it's just like all that effort and it's just like (laughs) it's it's just over. It's just it's crazy and obviously disappointing six game loss to the wild um you know, to the blues. Let's let's go through um really everything and we'll we'll break down um earlier today, you and I both were at the final uh season ending wrap up exit uh press conference with Bill Garrin and and Dean Evison. But you know the one thing to to start things off, and I've seen a lot of people actually point this out um, on articles of mine and on Twitter and things like that. But and in hindsight, it almost seems foolish. You know, you and I were both convinced the Wild were going to win this series in six. In the Athletics, seventy five percent of um, uh, was the model that Dom put out there that had the Wild winning this series, and I think it was something like ninety something percent of the Athletic hockey writers thought the Wild were going to win this series. Yet in hindsight, you look back and the fact that the Blues have dominated the Wild, at least record-wise, for three consecutive seasons. Why do you think we all ignored that, like it was sort of nothing?
0: Well, I've thought about that a couple times, and the matchup for sure was a challenge. But what's interesting in a playoff series is that it oftentimes is very different from what happens in the regular season. And part of that is because you really dig deep into your matchups and into the game planning and the tweaks. And and let's not forget where St. Louis was after Game 3 of this series. Remember the quotes after Game 3? Mm-hmm. Ryan O'Reilly sounded lost. Like I don't know what's happened to us. I don't know where our depth has been. And he wasn't the only one making comments like that. I mean, there was a point in this series where it really felt like Minnesota was in complete control. And... I think you got to give Craig Berube a lot of credit. I thought I he was—I thought he was brilliant with how he managed his team into Game Four, and it's probably a a great lesson for all of us that watch hockey from the outside. Is that, and I think Dean Evason maybe even—I'd be interested to talk to him about it—that Berube didn't want to wait until his back was to the wall to make a change. Mm-hmm. He said, well, "It's two to one. The series is not going the way I want." he had lines that were every bit as locked in place as Minnesota's had been for the last two months of the season, and they were rolling. But he broke them all up. He changed his goaltender, and he did it when it was 2-1. to one. He didn't wait for another night of the same thing to fall behind 3-1 and then have to panic. He just said, nope, we're going to change this up right now. And to his credit, that changed the series. And you know, and it's. I think you, you got to give a guy credit for that. And I then I do think there is something to the way these teams matched up. And I'm not sure why. We I know why I ignored it because I looked at it and said the Winter Classic was different. The two games in St. Louis were both overtime games on the road, which essentially were ties because you're not you're not going to play three on three in the playoffs.
1: Where the Wild also looked like a different team than we've seen in St. Louis in the last couple of years. Right. In
0: both those exactly. Games. And in, in one of them. Minnesota had to rally late, but in the other one, St. Louis had to rally late just to get it into overtime. So that's why I personally dismissed him. I thought it was, a, I thought it was a, not an easy matchup for Minnesota, but I thought it was not one sided the other way. I didn't think it was a, well, this is a team you can't beat because they beat you three times during the regular season. So I don't know. I, I think there's a, a lot of things you have to be willing now to look back and say, how did you miss it? How did you how did it get away? All of those things I think are valid questions now,
1: yeah. And I and I think that internally the wild have to do the same thing. I think they have to be extremely honest with themselves here on why this team has lost now seven straight playoff series. Like, you can't just blame everything now on Parisi, Suter, Koivu, Stahl, Dubnik, and the old core, right? I mean, the reality is is that the wild are going to continue to be Fiala or not probably a team that's in the top 3 of this division for the foreseeable future. So you are going to have to play Colorado and St. Louis in the first round most years coming up for the foreseeable future. It's not they're not going to change the the playoff format here. No, they're so not, you better figure out a way to beat these you teams. You do have to beat them, but let me let's just
0: I wish we could go back and re-rack some of the conversations that we've had over the years. And I don't disagree with you. that Minnesota has to figure out. But you should have to beat the teams in your division. If you're the third best team in your division, then you shouldn't be bitching about the playoff format. You shouldn't be complaining that, well, under a different format we'd still be playing. If you are the third best yeah. team in your division, you don't deserve to be in the final eight in the NHL. Right. So,
1: but uh, but uh, just real quick, I mean, just to clarify, like well, I'm not saying no, that. No, no, I'm, right. I'm saying they better figure out a no, way. to I'm saying to wild beat fans. These teams. I'm yeah. saying wild fans. Yeah.
0: But now, what I'm what I was going to say is, go back to the some of the conversations that we've had and think about like let's start in 2013. 2014, that season, when the Wild go beat the Avs in the first round, and then they lose to Chicago in the second round. And we had the conversation that the Wild are going to have to figure out a way to beat Chicago. They're going to be looking up at the Blackhawks forever. Well, they were for three years, and then the Blackhawks have fallen off and are now at the bottom of the division. And then it was... Well, they beat the Avs, but this Avs team is built for the future. This team is—they're gonna. This is gonna be a handful for the Wild for the next decade. Well, the reality is, two years later, the Avs have the worst record in the NHL, and then it was Wild are never gonna be able to beat the big bad Blues. They're just never gonna be able to get by them. Well, then they beat them, and and then the Blues fell off just a little bit. Now the Blues have done a a similar job to the Wild for the most part staying competitive. But then it was Dallas and the Dallas young core is built to dominate and Winnipeg. Winnipeg Winnipeg is going to dominate. Well, every one of these teams had one or maybe two seasons and then disappeared. Winnipeg's not in the playoffs again this year. And, And so I think you can't overreact To that, and say that if they don't figure this out, this is going to be the problem for the next ten years because it just—it very rarely turns out that way. And we'll see. Colorado's core looks outstanding, but let's not forget that they haven't done anything in the playoffs yet. I mean, this team hasn't made a serious run with this core of players yet. Mm -hmm. And we'll see. Maybe this is the year that they do it. I think they should. I think they should beat St. Louis in the next round. But. So many things have to happen to have playoff success that I just don't think you can overreact. Overreact to a playoff series, overreact to a loss, or a win for that matter, but for sure overreact to matchups.
1: Yeah, but this core better figure out why they did not handle adversity well in this postseason. And you know, Dean Evison and Bill Guerin talked a lot of it about it today. I mean, the hallmark of this team all year long was comebacks, handling adversity well, re- resiliency. And when the going got tough in Game 5, when the going got tough in Game 6, his team completely cratered. But this series, to me, was lost in Game 4. As you mentioned, Bruby made a ton of different adjustments, some out of necessity, some that he had to, putting in Bennington, um, you know, things like that, changing lines, obviously the necessity with the defense. But to me, the fact in that first period that the Wild get outshot 18-5 to five, don't four-check at all in that game. Don't try to get at Biddington, who had lost nine straight playoff games at that point. We're going up against a blue line that had, uh, f- other than Scandela, four defensemen that had combined for 15 games. Well, and Scandella played a minute and a half. Right. So I'm saying the yeah. other the other, the other, other four right. that they played that game I, besides And see, I look at it
0: more them. like I credit St. Louis more than blame Minnesota for that. I think St. Louis came. I think Baruby made the correct changes. He swapped his lines. He wasn't going to watch the grief line beat the hell out of him for another night. So he said, I'm going to put Braden Shen with Perron and O'Reilly and let's go. And because why keep running my guys out against that line and watching them dominate Robert Thomas? I mean, Thomas had no chance against that line. He managed his defenseman in a way that I thought was outstanding as well. He, he, Played seven, yeah. first of all.
1: But he played a couple like three minutes.
0: Played Santini three minutes. Scandella was out after a minute and a half injured. And I think he looked at it as I gotta have this game. So if it means I gotta play Falk and Pareco 32 minutes apiece, that's what I'm gonna do. And that's what he did. He played he coached the game with desperation, and the blues played it with desperation. And I look at it more as that they just deserve the credit for that than the Wild letting it, letting it get away. Because des- we talked about it that day. I told you I thought the Blues were going to win that night. And, and I said, because desperation is a real thing that it's hard to manufacture if you don't have it. Where I thought the series got away were two moments that were inexplicable when compared to what, how the Wild responded all year long. It was when the Blues scored late in Game 2 of Game 5, Minnesota's dominating the game. They're up two to one. It feels like five to one. And St. Louis gets the goofy goal off a nothing play from the wall that Saad tips in. And you wild, know what it reminded
1: me of Tara Vanden and uh, and in Chicago in twenty. What was it? Twenty. Yeah, the year that Chicago 15th? swept yeah. the wild in the
0: yeah. in the second round, where it was. It just felt the wild like had come back had come from, from three nothing, made right.
1: it three three, and boom, Tara He got the scored goofy the goofy goal to
0: put him up at the and end I, of the second.
1: Yeah, and I thought in that
0: case, I was thinking Corey Crawford might get pulled. Yeah, three three after two. Instead, they remember they, there was a hand
1: pass that could have been in the neutral zone, and for some reason, Vanek played the puck. Right. And put it in his own end. And then end. and Walnut's yeah, scoring. and
0: but I, So I thought the way Minnesota failed to respond from that goal was so unlike the Wild all season long. And they came out in the third period flat. And then the same thing happened in Game 6, where the Wild totally dominated the first period, played it exactly like they wanted to play it, St. Louis gets the goofy goal to go up one zip, and the way the Wild walked down the tunnel after the first period was a a defeated club, and they came out in the second period as if they had already lost the game. And I, I was trying to think back to games where that had happened. I don't remember... Other than maybe a game or two all yeah. season where Minnesota didn't respond when pushed in those spots, those to me were the two turning point moments of this series that will have me scratching my
1: head all summer. No doubt about it. Uh, what did you tweet after the first period of that game that everybody said, Now do you believe jinxes are real? Yeah,
0: I well, what I tweeted was, and there were a couple people who understood it, and then a whole bunch of other people with this didn't age well. I said, I hate that on right, Twitter, I and that. I said, If the next 40 minutes are played the same way the first 20 were, the Wild will win this game. Mm. And I said, attempts were whatever they were, 19 to 7, shots were 10 to 4, and, but they're down 1-0. And I stand by exactly what I said. The truth is the next 40 minutes were nothing like the right. first 20. No doubt. If they had been, the Wild win the game. And there were a couple people that got it because they responded with, well, unfortunately, the next 40 weren't the same. That's right. But all these other, it's people. It's like they they can't they lose track of the English language because they get so excited to rip you that they yes. they forget to read the words and understand what it meant. Yep. And so that's what I said at the end of the period, and it had nothing to do with but the jinxes or anything but, yeah. else. I mean, it was. I thought if the Wild had continued to play that way all night, there was mm-hmm. no way they lose that game. Unfortunately, they didn't
1: come anywhere close right. to playing that way. Regardless, though, so jinxes are real. So well, they're um, not. So, uh, and again, reminder, May 25th, uh, Wednesday at 7 p.m. at LC's. I tweeted Margot today to put that on your calendar in case you forget, Anthony. Um, so uh, let's talk about the goaltending uh, decision. Dean today, for the first time coming out of his mouth, uh, said exactly what we all assumed that, that what tipped the scales uh, going into the playoff series was Marc-Andre Fleury's uh, three, straight, three Stanley Cups in his career. Um, you know, I guess my counter to the B, to that would be that he was on the bench for two of them and lost his job in another playoff series. But regardless, I get you go with Mark andre Fleury to start. Where I think they made a mistake, though, is that, you know, if you're going to play Cam Talbot in this series, don't you think Game 5 had to be the one? I mean, to your point on Craig Berube... Why wait till your back's against the wall? You're going to put a guy that you just put, uh, you know, on the bench collecting dust for two weeks, essentially from his last start, April 28th, and you're going to put him a must-win game on the road in a building that he never wins in. Like to me, you had to make that move in Game Five. He made not one lineup adjustment in Game Five.
0: Right, and that's that is a little bit the point I was making earlier that Baruby didn't wait till his back was up against the wall. And I thought it, we've had enough conversations over the years where. I feel comfortable saying this because I'll never second guess a coach or a general manager or for a move that wasn't made using hindsight, unless at the time I said, you know what, I wouldn't do this this way. I would have started Cam Talbot in game two after losing game one. Then after Fleury won game two and three, I I would have stuck with him. But after he lost game four, I would have played Cam in game five and given him the game at home a chance to get his feet underneath him and maybe an environment that was a little more friendly. Yeah,
1: where you would assume that you are playing on your toes as a team and protecting him.
0: Right, and then if he didn't win, you could always go back to Flurry in game six. And I felt the same way about lineup changes. I I would have – now, because here's where I won't take a shot at Dean's coaching in that I kept looking at our lines, at the Wilds' lines, saying – they're just kind of built the way they are. There's not much like really. Broody the only had, thing
1: you could have done was Hartman Goudreau flip. There's really nothing maybe, else. But
0: but I don't think that answers anything. Yeah. So, and if you, and that's exactly the point I was making. You're not going to swap the wings. Yeah. I mean, Kaprizov and Zuccarello are going to play together. The grief line you'd think would stay together. But now when you look back on it, maybe it should have been considered because maybe it was just as. Outlandish to think of Barubi breaking up the Perron O'Reilly Sod line that had been so good for him down the stretch. Right. Moving the the two wingers, the two Russian wingers off of Robert Thomas's line because they had been so good down the stretch. He was willing to do that, and maybe there was an answer after the, the game. The only thing loss. I would have
1: considered was maybe actually taking Zuccarello away from Kaprizov, putting putting uh, Fiala on that line. Like Zuccarello, I'm sorry, has had two bad playoffs in a row. Like, he gets pushed around like anything. He's turning pucks over left and right. He takes a horrendous penalty in game six because he's scared to get hit. So, I mean, like, to me, like, there has to come a point where you just say, you know what? They're really good in the regular season, but maybe I need to get them them away from each other. And, and Fiala clearly needed a change, so maybe that's something they should have tried. I mean, again, that is hindsight. Um, but th- this is too, like, I-, I think it's a concern how, how Zuccarello has played in these last two playoffs. Well,
0: maybe, but it, to just to finish the thought is that to now use the hindsight thing where I, so I'm willing to say that I would have managed the goalies different than Dean did because I said it at the time. I didn't think that way about his forward lines, mm-hmm. but maybe there was something that should have been considered. Maybe after the way you lost in game four or lost game five at home and going to game six, you should have been thinking, hey, everything's on the table. And maybe it was even pulling Hartman off that top line. And I've got some a theory on that, too, and throwing Erickson or something up there where it's let's get a guy to win some puck battles and see if we can't ignite that line again. As good as those guys had been all the way through the regular season, it was different in the playoffs. It's a different game in the playoffs. Ryan Hartman had provided a little grit, a little edge, but he couldn't do that in this playoff series because the Wild got knocked off their game by how good the Blues' power play was. They couldn't play the same kind of heavy, in-your-face style because I think in the back of their mind, they were so terrified about taking a penalty and putting a power play on the ice that they just couldn't stop. And I'll be really curious to see if, as the summer progresses and... And Billy and Dean go back and revisit some of this if they come to that same conclusion. Because I have to give Ryan Carter some of the credit for it, because he and I were talking during the intermission of Game 6, and he was the first one who brought it up. And the more I thought about it, the more I think he was right on, that... Minnesota just couldn't play the game the way they wanted to play it
1: because of St. Louis's power play. Yeah, no doubt. And let's talk a little bit about that when we come back from the break. I also want to talk to you about the rest of what Dean and and, um, and Billy talked today about, about uh, who they're going to try to re-sign this offseason and then what it sounds to me is like a guaranteed Viola trade. Um, thanks to Royal Credit Union, by the way, who's one of our newest sponsors, uh, Royal Credit, less fee, more free. And um, Aquarius Home Services is just, as everybody knows that listens to this podcast, is just one of my favorite companies. Connecticut Water Systems, they are the local authorized dealer. Well, they're designed to tackle the toughest well water out there, and Minnesota can have some pretty nasty well water. Eliminate orange and rust staining, remove any white scale buildup, get rid of bad odor and smell from your water, and get that great-tasting drinking water right from your sink. You will see, feel, and taste the difference that the non-electric, Connecticut water treatment system will make in your cabin or home. Aquarius provides a free water analysis or trusted water specialist will come visit your home or, uh, or your cabin, test your water with all these cool little chemistry experiments and provide you with quality water treatment options. I have one in my home and you can too. Aquarius believes In earning the right to be recommended, they're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you. I also had them out to my house this week because my thermostat was broken. They fixed that on uh, Saturday. came right out there on Saturday. And here's a word from Profile by Sanford. So a friend of the show reached out to me on Twitter today and asked how they get in touch with Profile. And I sent uh, sent him and his girlfriend to Deb at uh, Profile. And uh, there's so many choices out there to lose weight. Uh, believe me, I've tried them all, uh, but I finally found the one that works. Uh, profile is a full-fledged wellness program. My profile health coach, Deb, designed a plan that was custom-tailored just for me. It incorporates my nutrition, my exercise habits, my lifestyle choices, my travel habits, everything. Um, I have more energy. I feel, feel sometimes good. Uh, profile worked for me, and it could work for you, too. Don't delay. Visit ProfilePlan.com slash Twin Cities and launch your transformation today. Tell them that Russo sent you again. That's ProfilePlan.com. Dot com slash twin cities back here. Worst seats in the house. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta May 25th, 7 p.m. LCs is our next live podcast. Um, let's talk about the uh, Dean and, and Billy uh, thing today. First of all, um, I would say that, uh, you know, Dean, uh, that Billy was pretty adamant uh, that he wants to try to bring back Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, he uh, w- would like to have a tandem, at least he's saying between Marc-Andre Fleury and Cam Talbot. Now the cynics out there might might say, well, he's saying this publicly to try to drum up interest for Cam Talbot in a potential trade. Um, that usually is not Billy Guerin's style, but it could be possibly be. The reality is, though, if if people out there think that he's trying to drum up business for Cam Talbot to resign uh, Kevin Fiala, I think you need a math lesson because you still got to get another goalie in here. That's going to cost a couple million bucks and all Cam makes is three, six, seven. That's not bridging the gap to get Fiala. The interesting thing is, is that while it makes the reason why it makes sense to me to come back with that tandem is let's just say you can get Marc-Andre Fleury at about the same price as Cam Talbot. That's three and a half million bucks. You replace Kevin Fiala with Marco Rossi at less than a million. You now sign – you have Connor Dura at about a million uh, when he's re-signed as an RFA, and you go out and you sign somebody, whether it's Delorier, Bukestad, or somebody else, and you get somebody in, um, and and that's plenty of room to – to uh, plenty of cap room actually left to run your team next year. The other reason why it makes sense is let's just say you signed Flurry for two years or you have them both on one-year deals. It buys time also to have one of the goalies back to basically have Jesper Wallstatt be the backup in two years. You can have him in the minors all year next year, and it sort of buys that time for Wallstatt to maybe develop into the number one. You could also have both Talbot and Fleury in on one-year deals next year, or one of the two on one-year deals, and now you create a really cool trade ship at the deadline to go out and get an asset.
0: Well, I think all of that is interesting. And the big question with Fleury is that I think he's made it clear he wants to see what else is out there on the free agent market, not just sign here. And I think that at least begs two questions. One is, certainly there's a money element to it. And even though at this point in his career, he's not scraping nickels together, but a million bucks is still a million bucks, even if you don't need it. And so there might be some teams willing to pay him more. But it also makes you wonder just a little bit, and this is pure speculation, if he looks around at this team and says, I like this team, I love it here, but are we really good enough to win a cup next year? I'm not sure. I'm not sure he'd look at it and say, why would next year's team be better than this year's team? Maybe he will. Maybe this will be the best fit. But what if somebody out there is saying, not only is it a team that looks like they might have a better shot next season, but also a spot where he's the clear number one, rather than one of two goalies in a tandem? Yeah. Though I think all of those things might be in the back of his mind.
1: And, and look, but it, this,
0: and I'm just guessing. Yeah. I'm not. I haven't talked to him yeah. about it. I have no idea. But and who knows what he might be able to command on the free agent market? Right. I have no idea.
1: If there's no, if Bill Guerin doesn't know or doesn't have a handshake deal with Marc-Andre Fleury right now that he's 100% re-signing here, you have to come out the way he did today and talk up Cam Talbot because you need Cam Talbot with clear headspace knowing that he was always coming back here. So that that's another rationale why you come out and you say that we would like this talent. You, you let Fleury know publicly, I want you back, but you're also letting Cam, like, I love you. You're coming back with him and we'll see the way it works out cams under contract um the other one though that was uh to me even though it wasn't as concrete it was almost more concrete Is i i think the i think it's the the writing is on the wall for kevin fiala um they they have eight million dollars of cap space kevin fiala wants at least eight but even if he doesn't you can't sign him for seven without making a bunch of other moves to clear cap space um they, I think last summer they made a decision that they were trading Kevin Fiala this summer. You know, I, the one thing that uh, that I will tell people that I don't think that a lot of people really understand that is if 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 Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi were not bought out net last summer, Kevin Fiala would have been traded last summer. That is what created the flexibility for them to afford Kevin Fiala this year. So now you go into this year. I think it is so obvious. And this is what I've been saying all year long on the podcast. When he started re-signing Jordan Greenway, bringing in Tyson Jones to two million, almost frivolously re-signing Alex Galagoski at two million, John Merrill at one point two, is that that's eight point two million dollars? He was just making life harder himself. To re-sign Kevin Fiala, so what that's telling me is that all along their plan this summer was to trade Kevin Fiala, and well, I think
0: that's still the plan. It might be, but I mean, all those guys are pieces that you would have had to either sign those guys or somebody like them anyway. Mm-hmm. The which, one, th- the which, one that yeah. was interesting was the Galagoski one because he, you have six other defensemen that you could have lived with,
1: and they did it in a string of healthy scratches. Which
0: right, so that that one was strange. Joe adding a million bucks, I, that two, doesn't, two well, million. but I mean, you would have had, you would have had Sturm at about a million. Well, they, so, they,
1: what happened is they, they offered Sturm a five-year deal at about two and a half and he rejected it is what I'm hearing. So they were actually, again, to my point, they were spending two, two and a half million, which is again, just to me, more evidence on the fact that they never planned on saving a bunch of room to try to get Fiala yeah, signed. Yeah,
0: but now there are some things that, I, I was a little surprised by Billy's answer today about trading pieces to make, to clear up some cap space. It was almost like he was surprised he was asked the question today. There was something funny in his reaction. Not that I, I'm not saying that he hasn't even thought about it, but there are ways that that could free up money as well. I don't yep. know that there's much of a trade market right now for Matt Dumba with his health and and with the way he finished. I I just don't know that
1: that yeah, would command much. I mean, yeah, that's the much. way I look at it. It's like even if he wanted to trade Matt Dumba, first he had, now has a 10-team no trade that's going to be orchestrated, likely orchestrated with the teams that he knows can afford him. That he, again, this is – the, the no trade that he's currently working with would have been what he turned in last summer, and then he has to turn in another one on July 13th this year. But you're probably trading him before if you're trying to save Fiala. And, you know, so he could or- – that's probably been orchestrated. But he also – let's besides his 10-team no trade, he makes six million bucks. He had a down year offensively. He's always hurt. I don't think he could trade him. And Dmitry Kulikov at two and a quarter is not getting it done. T- Tyson Jones you know, to two million is but not all, getting but it done. But
0: all of those things, if you start to, I think the only way that this works and the only way that it's even possible is that you'd have to move some of those, uh, maybe two of those pieces. But then there would have to be Kevin Fiala's camp would have to be determined to stay here. Right. And that's there are two sides to this. and so if if Fiala comes in and says, "Look, I understand the situation, but I believe we have a chance to win here. I'm willing to I, I'm willing to trade a a v for term or even." Let's do a three year deal that's maybe a small mm-hmm. a little lesser than what what I'd like a long term deal to be on, knowing that I'm going to have that big free agent payday and
1: yeah. in a couple we of years when he's only still twenty five
0: right so at twenty eight he could still get a big free three, agent yeah. contract, and if you're willing to do some of those kind of things that th- there might be a way to make it work. It might be that you can just command in the trade market such a haul for Kevin Fiala that right now makes the most sense to trade him yeah. I, there's no way he's going to get eight million bucks. It doesn't work if he gets eight million bucks. But if it's less than that, now there there are some possibilities, and who knows? I, I just I, there are just so many things that could change. Because when you listen to Billy today, every guy that was brought up, yeah, we'd love to keep him here. We'd love to keep Jake Middleton here. We'd love to sign Nick DeLoria again. We'd love to bring Mark Andre Fleury back. Well, you can't even do all those things yeah. really it, unless you make some other moves somewhere.
1: What did you think of, uh, of like, like, I'll be interested in what DeLaurier is going to be wanting on the free agent market because, to me, he's got value here if he doesn't play in the playoffs. Like, he was I know he was dealing with an injury, but he wasn't effective in the playoffs. And he's the type of guy, though, like, if you get rid of him, you're going to want that sandpaper in the regular season last year. Like, there's value to him being on the ice to protect guys like Kaprizov. But once you get in the postseason— wouldn't you rather Connor Dur playing? Well, depends or even on Nick who Bukestan you're playing. playing.
0: It depends on who you're playing against. Well, I mean, this St. Louis yeah. club, yes. Let's say you were going up against Calgary and Milan Lucic is on the right. other side. Or Colorado. Uh, Colorado. I mean, there's some teams out there that I would if have McDermott rather. If McDermott was playing, right. But if there's some teams out there that I I wouldn't mind having DeLorean on my side. It, in this series, it didn't make any sense. And I'll go back to what the point that I'd made earlier that I really think what can't be overlooked is how St. Louis's power play prowess changed the way Minnesota played the game. Mm -hmm. And we've joked about that during regular seasons, that the best way to answer somebody running around like a donkey is to score on the power play, not to punch them back. And that's what St. Louis did in this series. They didn't have anybody. Braden Shen was running around like a donkey the whole series. Didn't want to drop the gloves with anybody. But whenever Minnesota took liberties back the other way. St. Louis just scored on the power play. Mm-hmm. And that changed the way Minnesota played the game, yeah. including
1: Nick Delorier, but right. not exclusive to him. No doubt. Um, what do you think of the whole special teams conversation today? Like, like, you know, I, I just didn't see too many. Like, I saw a very predictable power play with the same problems we always see. You know, they can't get pucks through. Fiala and Zuccarello turning pucks over. Sometimes F is almost too um mobile on there where he just doesn't you know you know the, the, I will say I talked to a to a coach the other day that said that he thinks one big problem on the power play is that you have Fiala and Kaprizov that have so much mobility out there that are not in like you know in other words like the point he brought up was David Perron just sits in the right circle and scores and these guys like sometimes he churn pucks over because you have no idea where Fiala and Kaprizov are going to go next so that could be one issue I don't know that's just what he was saying um but they're, so their predictable number one unit, number two unit was just, you know, a mess, the whole, to me, series. And then their penalty kill just could not get a save, couldn't clear a puck. It was just, you know, just a mess. And it, to me, the special teams lost in the series. Well, I don't
0: think there's any question the special teams lost in the series.
1: And that. Going back to
0: one of the first points you made today about why didn't we see some of this, we probably should have known special teams were going to be a bigger factor than what we thought going in. St. Louis had the best combined special teams in the NHL, and it showed during this series. I don't know what the answer is for the Wild, and I I talked to a few other broadcasters as the season went on, and it's interesting. It's kind of like the goalie thing when you fans all think their goalie's the only one who gives up soft goals and it's because they watch him 82 nights a year and they only see the other guy play four times and if one of those four nights he didn't give up a goofy one they saw every one their guy gave up and the same as on the power play so many of those guys said yeah well once we lose the once we get the puck cleared down in our zone we can never get back into the zone and that's like, well, that's what it feels like with the wild too. And yet it looks like the other team gains the zone so freely, night after night after night. Maybe it just is that it looks more challenging when you watch the same power play, have the same struggles every night. Maybe. But I think two things were evident. Number one, they couldn't win enough faceoffs. So every power play started with wasting 30 seconds to go back and get the puck and bring it up. The, when you win the faceoff, like St. Louis did so often on the power play, you just start in the zone and now you're set up. And
1: because when you look at that, that was an issue.
0: When you look at the people, though, like look at where St. Louis had guys. Minnesota has a guy that's every bit as skilled as every one of their players. If you just look at individual skill sets for where they were on the power play.
1: And, And this is where, to me, coaching comes in. Like, I look at those two power play goals they scored in game six, Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko. When do we ever see a play below the goal line to a, to a shot into the slot? Other than even well, strength. Yeah, Kaprizov that's what I'm scores. saying is that like, if you
0: look at the individual skill sets, right. though, does Tarasenko have anything that Fiala doesn't have or Kaprizov doesn't have? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. I mean, does, but to me, does this have is thin, Shen is playing thin, down below the goal line, right. does Matt Zuccarello, does he have any more skills than Matt Zuccarello has? Right. Right. And their guy on top, and they're playing Perunovic on top of this power play. I mean, Jared Spurgeon has every skill that Perunovic has. And yet, St. Louis was able to execute on the power play, partially because they wanted the faceoffs to start with the puck in the zone. And then they just executed. And. Dean, all itself. year wanted mobility and not set positions on the power play. Wanted guys to move around, thought it made them better. But I think, I think Dean, I loved listening to Dean's answer about it today that we got to look in the mirror first and then spend the summer trying to figure this out because it wasn't good enough. Yeah. And it wasn't. And it wasn't all year. And they, nothing, have, the, the, nothing, they have the skills yeah. to be good at yeah. this. Same with penalty kill, they have good penalty kill skill sets. But their penalty kill was terrible
1: all year. Yeah. Terrible. Um I don't know. Their power play to me, it's like they're they've like two plays, like their bumper redirection, which if it even gets on net's a miracle. Uh, you know, and, and like the and it's like to me, they're like, you know, they have Eric's neck just standing at the net, just net front. Like it's the 1990s and instead of like even ever really backing off for that play that O'Reilly scored on. I don't know. I just think they need to really take a look in the mirror as a coaching staff. The other thing is this team never practices ever. Like, you know, you know, one issue, it's one thing to not practice, but the, f- the, the fact that then they have optional morning skates every day, like, you know what I noticed in the playoffs? St. Louis didn't practice, but you know what they did? Craig Berube was on the ice every morning skate and, and they practiced the, and, the power
0: play in the penalty game every, every morning day. skate. And the Wild don't do that. And, but they also did practice. Yeah.
1: St. Louis had practices in yeah, the middle of the season. and the, the series. Wild had three practices since March 21st. Right. And like I, they, you know, and then you wonder why Dmitry Kulikov is tracking back aimlessly, having no idea ever who to pick up. Because there's no reps, you know. Th- that's where, like to me, they've got to. You know, it's one thing to to want rest over. Like I get valuing rest over work, but sometimes you also got to get these guys out on the ice. And I think
0: that they would even want that. And I I think that'll be among the things that when they do the self scout, so to speak, and the self evaluation that you have to look back at it. I noticed the same thing about the Blues. Every single day, they were working their power play during the morning skate. And I don't think it's a coincidence. This isn't like looking at the Capitals power play that seem to have the dream guy at each spot, but they sure execute. And maybe that'll be something that the Wild have to consider. I've, I've asked the question of Karts and Wes a few times this year and just said, and I get it. I'm not, I haven't been through the grind like they have as a player. And maybe there are just value to not having to put your gear on and your skates on and but wouldn't it be worth just walk go I don't care if you go out there in your street shoes, yeah. just walk through things because I they do it in every other sport. You have walkthroughs on foot in the day before football games, you have walkthroughs at shoot arounds for basketball teams. Baseball teams go out, and without going through a full batting practice, they still walk through their cutoffs and relays and whatever. And I know that it isn't the norm for hockey, but if you're truly worried about rest and fatigue, that might be a way to at least get guys out there And because obviously what they were doing wasn't working. And I don't know that practice was the only factor, but I think it was probably part of it.
1: Yeah, I I just think, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't get the optional thing. Like If you don't practice the day before, you should all be out there for the morning skate, including the head coach. If you practice the day before, I get the optional. That's how most teams do it, and I, I, I can almost venture to guess there is not a team in the National Hockey League that pro- practiced less than the Minnesota Wild since the trade deadline. There's just no way. Well, and one of and those the practices didn't the, have Marc-Andre In Flurry.
0: fairness, the Wild did have the heaviest schedule yeah. from there to the finish. The Islanders were the only team that played more games than Minnesota down the stretch. And they had some heavy travel stretches where there were some times where it made some sense to give guys some days. But at the same time, I agree with you, it just felt like there were little parts of the game. Dean made a comment today, we were good enough offensively, but we weren't good enough on special teams and we could have been better defensively. And those are the kinds of things that practice is usually devoted to most times. You're not practicing teaching guys how to pass and score. You're teaching defensive zone coverages, neutral zone situations, breakouts. Those kind of those parts of the game. Maybe that'll be something that they adjust heading into next year.
1: Yeah, let's do uh, Twitter questions. But first, uh, Anthony, tell us about Kowalski's.
0: Well, it's the only place to go when you're entertaining or just having a great family dinner you got to start with the best ingredients we've had a few really good ones here lately and looking forward to a summer full of them and they, they've i just love going back to their meat counter and their seafood counter because no matter what you'll find what you're looking for the guys there are knowledgeable and we've expanded what we've tried a number of times by just because of what they've recommended so if you're looking forward to a summer of barbecues stop by the meat counter or the fish counter back at your neighborhood kowalski's it's the it's the best ingredients. It's, they call it the joy of good food. I call it if you're going to entertain or have a great dinner, you got to start with the best ingredients. And for that, I go to Kowalski's.
1: And here's a word from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Now is the time. Uh, now you get uh, you can get a strong cash offer, sell your home stress free with a guaranteed offer with Chris Lindahl Real Estate. Don't worry about the hassle of constant cleaning and home maintenance. Sell your home with Chris Lindahl today. Go to chrislindahl.com, fill out a quick form, receive an all-cash offer on your home today. No obligation in the guaranteed offer allows you to bypass the market and sell your home ha- hassle-free. That means no showings, no open house, no stress. Just choose when you want to move and you will close with confidence. The Wall Street Journal named Chris Lindahl Real Estate the number one real estate team in Wisconsin and Minnesota for closed transactions. One of their clients, Dino, said, quote, we got a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real estate and in 24 hours above market value, and we got to stay until we found our new home. It was smooth, easy, and stress-free. I cannot recommend Kristlindal Real Estate enough. The Christendoll Real Estate Guaranteed Offer keeps you in control. It's that simple. Go to Kristlindal.com to get a guaranteed offer on your home today so you can start packing. Certain restrictions apply. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm.
0: Hey hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who'll be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee, unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at
1: 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. All right, back here, we seats in the house, Michael Russo and Anthony LaPanta. Final segment of the show, May 25th, 7 p.m. at Elsie's. Hope to see you all there. Let's go to some Twitter questions, Anthony. We had some good ones, uh, some, some, uh, some uh, about hockey and then some about uh, you calling games and things like that. <laughs> Um, Connor asked, should we be satisfied with the season as a whole? It obviously didn't end the way we liked, but it doesn't for 31 teams. I think we made steps in the right direction. But in your opinion, did we do enough to look back and go this season was satisfactory? I mean, I think deep down, hand on a Bible, Bill Guerin would say that, yeah, it was a successful regular season, but his expectations are to go and win a cup. And I, don't, I cannot imagine that he thinks that the way they went out is satisfactory. And I think that he he, he voiced that today. I agree however here's here's how I look at it in
0: two-fold part to twofold answer to this question one is the excitement that we enjoyed this season was off the charts ten years worth of exciting finishes in one season the rallies the overtimes so that part was satisfying it was the, it was the most incredible regular season that we've seen in the history of the Minnesota Wild. 100-point scorer, two guys who scored more points this season than any Wild player had ever scored before, more goals than they ever scored, more points in the standings than they had ever had, finished as the number five team in the NHL. And I would bet that if you could get inside Billy's head back in September and said, where is this team going to finish in the overall NHL standings, I don't think even he would have told you we'll be in the top five. So for that, they the the regular season provided that. It, what it also provided and created were higher expectations going into the playoffs. And but I don't think I don't think at the start of the season, Billy would have said this is the team that's gonna make our cup run. I think he's still looking a couple of years down the road. Totally agree. And so I don't think he expected at the beginning of the year this team to be yeah. hoisting the cup. In July, But I think the way the regular season went, he had hopes that they would get through the first round. Yeah, you so, told
1: me multiple times, and the insinuation is just what you said, that they have a plan and they're not going to deviate from the plan.
0: Right. So the answer to that question is, satisfied, no. And nobody's ever satisfied when they fall short of winning a championship. But I think realistically, what this team did was probably overachieve from the beginning and we learned that we have a true superstar in our market in Kirill Kaprizov, something we've never had before.
1: Yeah. Somebody almost gave me a heart attack on Twitter asking, do you trade Kaprizov before his no move kicks in? I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> you waited 22 years to actually develop a star and, and then you trade him when he finally gets a uh, hundred and eight points and 47 goals. Rock NHL. Um, what was your guy's favorite moment from the season? It's, man, for me, it's hard to just pinpoint one. Um, you know what? I I mean, I just, I just, to Anthony's point, like I was thoroughly entertained this season. Like this was an exciting hockey team to cover, an exciting brand of hockey to watch. Um, and when you've covered the Minnesota wild for 17 years, you're just not used to that. Right. I mean, when I I first came in, this is no slight item, I swear, but when I first came in, I had to get used to zero, zero first periods and two, one victories or losses. And, and that was for many, many years. Um, and that is no longer the case.
0: Well, exactly. And I think there were a few moments for me that it, the early in the season, some of those, they had stretches where it was two goals with the goaltender pulled and then an yeah. overtime Pittsburgh. victory. And I mean, the game in those kind of games, they don't happen. And they happened five times this year. It those Those nights were just magical and there were... There were so many of them that it's hard to pinpoint one game, but I I think really even the home opener might have been right up there near the top of the list after they had won the games in Anaheim and L.A. to open the season, and then that Winnipeg game where they came from two down late, ended up winning the game in overtime. That one stands out as one of the best. But the other thing that I think was was really cool to see was the way the atmosphere inside the arena ramped up throughout the whole second half. And suddenly warm-ups, the lower bowl was half full for warm-ups. The buzz and the energy in the building because fans just realized that something special could happen every night. So to me, though, that was probably not one specific moment, but that was really fun to watch happen down the stretch.
1: Uh, Jax Berenberg asks, so what's the likelihood that Hartman stays at 1C throughout the next four seasons of salary cap hell? Um, he had a career season. However, he's pretty bad on the draw, and is obviously the weak link on the Kaprizov, Zuccarello, and, and Hartman line. Um, to, to What was Sheldon Keith's line when they asked about Justin Hall? Well, that's your opinion. Um, so well, that was Jax's opinion on him being the weakling. Um, so, uh, you know, first of all, you can't, four seasons of cap held to him, for him to be the number one center. I mean, the hope is that Marco Rossi or Maria, you know, um, we don't talk about who's Nadina because he re-signed in Russia for a couple of years, that one of them is going to be able to come in and eventually be the one, see if they trade Fiala, maybe, you know, you're getting somebody in that situation as well. So to say he'll be the, number one center for the next four years of Cap Hell, I would say that's unlikely. But will he enter training camp next year as the 1C? I would assume so. Um, absolutely. Yeah, um, probably. And this obviously depends on what happens with
0: Kevin Fiala. But I think it sure sounds like the thought process is that maybe Rossi and Boldy wind up as a duo, even if it's not wings. One, mm-hmm. It's a center wing as opposed to the two wings that they had on that line this year. And they lean on Freddie Gaudreau to be the responsible veteran whether it comes from the wing or the center and that might well be the case ryan hartman's going to be a a big part of this team for the remainder of his contract and where that fits who knows it's hard to imagine going into a season with the greenway felino erickson eck line anything other than intact they're a difference-making line maybe as good a checking line as there is in the nhl and they all seem to play best when together. So it's hard to imagine those three not staying together, but who knows? Maybe Jordan Greenway turns into a, a valuable power winger and winds up as a perfect fit with a Rossi and a Boldy or something. I mean, you just don't know how guys are going to develop.
1: Yeah. Sorry, I'm transfixed to this Tampa, Florida game because I'm going to be at one of those up here. I don't know if I even mentioned that on the podcast. I'm covering the Eastern Conference final and the Stanley Cup Final for the Athletics. Well,
0: uh, didn't you used to cover the Panthers? I
1: did, and I'm kind of, you know, let's be honest, we've exhausted our Tampa storyline, so Florida would be uh, be like just uh, like a dog on a bone. Uh, Glenn Stevens, uh, question for Anthony. This is right up your alley, Anthony. Okay. Do you grill anything different in the summer than your usual fare? Love the show.
0: No, no, only because we grill all winter. So we grill exactly the same stuff. I guess maybe the only thing is occasionally we'll grill. We've tried grilling corn and that's corn on the cob. That's only available during the summertime, but we grill all the same stuff all year round. So not really anything different, I guess would be the short answer. And the only thing I can think of is, is corn on the cob. And that's sporadic at best.
1: Um, Wild Boys 59 asks, uh, looking back at the buyouts, would you have done anything, with the same thing over again or done something different, uh, similar or different? Um, I mean, Bill Guerin said today that he would do it again. Um, Obviously, I've been on record for a long time. I would never have the guts to do both. But the reality is and the reason why they bought him out is they didn't want to trade him because if you trade him, um, and then they get hurt. First of all, if they trade them, you have to get them to waive the no move. That would not have been a problem for Zach Parisi. It would have definitely been a problem for Ryan Souter, and then you create a whole other mess there. But the other thing is if you trade them and they retire early, now at least now the Wild know what their price is the next six year, five years, three with the pain. Well, and the reality if is if like, those
0: guys were still here, you'd have the same. Right? You'd have worse. You'd have
1: worse. You'd have yeah. less money to spend. No, so. yeah.
0: The the buyouts of those two guys really, it hasn't. I mean, they they were stuck with those contracts whether they're here or bought out.
1: Yeah, that, I mean that is the one thing that I you know that I just don't. It's amazed to me that people don't realize the 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 dead cap money. While it's painful because they had two players under contract making that money, and that'd be two, le- you know, that'd be two less players that you would have to go find they actually made more money than the 12.7 and the 14.7, the 14.7. So like, the, like they, they still get, are getting a haircut. These, these guys were to made 15 next year, 50, you know, 7.5 and 7.5 ish. And now it's 12.7. So that, that this issue would have been worse this uh, summer. Like Kevin Fiala is not leaving because of the buyouts. Kevin Fiala would be leaving because all the money that they had done. I mean, they never knew that they were going to have to pay Caprice of $9 million. And then when they made the decisions for guys like Burdine, Dumba, over the years, Spurgeon, I mean, that all adds up. So that's the reason. Uh, Minnesota Hockey Fan 336, when do they need to non-offer Philip Johansson to get the second-round pick? That would be by June 1, and that pick will be 57. So the way it works is 20—the way I understand it is he was the 24th pick in the 2018 draft. Their compensatory pick will be twenty four uh, plus uh, uh, thirty two, which actually comes to fifty seven, um, because you have to add one. Okay, you have to add I was going to say twenty four
0: yeah. and thirty two. Yeah, I know. comes to fifty six.
1: Um, Diane Stamos, uh, what is your guess for the craziest thing GM Billy Guerin will do this offseason crazy like a fox? I don't know if there's much craziness that he can do. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. You know, he he is limited. I mean, look, Spurgeon's got a no-move. Brodine's got a no-move. Like, that's the one thing that people keep on asking, well, it's time to trade Spurgeon. Look, these guys have no-move clauses. Um, That's why we never bring them up. That's why we keep on saying the only real option if you want to save Kevin Fiala is – um, obviously, uh, sorry, I just missed a call from the league. Um, did I write something bad today, Anthony? I think I'm getting in trouble. Um, I haven't
0: read, I haven't read it yet. I'm about to.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, so there you go. Uh, how about this? Uh, this
0: isn't a Twitter question, but I, this is on the important subject. I got a text from our favorite bartender, Sean at Baldemar at Baldemar, where we're going to go have dinner after the show. Just asking in advance if we want to have anything decanted when we get there.
1: Well, can you just make sure that he has on this game? That's all that matters. I'll make sure of that. I'll text him. We are sitting that. at the bar, right? Yes. All right, good. Um, I don't want any hoops on. We're not going with Dayton. We actually
0: got stuck with that the other night when we walked in there. So we walked in. Sean wasn't working. If he was working, this would have been taken care of. And we sit down. There's a hockey game on the TV. Somebody sits down. So we're watching the game. Somebody sits down to the left of us and asks for the basketball game. So he switches it to the basketball game and we look up and we're like, Hey, we can we switch that to the hockey game and he says well no somebody requested the basketball game and i said well we didn't request it because we were already watching it so we move over to the other side of the bar and he says all right i'll switch this tv to the hockey game and then somebody there says wait we were watching the basketball game so he (laughs) switches it back and i said well wait a minute we're kind of on the losing end of both of these
1: yeah send the other guy now luckily
0: that basketball game ended shortly thereafter and we were able to watch hockey but it It was, I thought I was in some kind of like a curb your enthusiasm skit where they were. That
1: would be a Seinfeld episode. Wildologist asked based on the athletic articles, it sounds like New Jersey's number two pick is probably off the table and Fiala could be traded to the Senators. Well, there's lots of teams that he could be potentially traded to. There's there's a dozen teams that have the assets in the cap space to acquire him. The big thing is. I know Billy was asked
0: today what he thinks the market is. Just, I know that we don't have any idea. We haven't been a part. Mm. What do you think? I mean, I think
1: that look, I, I think that when New Jersey, I think New Jersey was a natural trade partner because Tom Fitzgerald has been vocal. But just that in general, like, what do you think? The, I think a first round pick and a prospect. Um, you that's know, what that, I think. too. Yeah, at least
0: two, and yeah. the prospect to me has to be a high end, a high end, like almost yeah, a, a first a
1: round, yeah, type prospect. Yeah. And that's why to me, drum up interest, try to try to get as much as you want. You know, again, you have an offer sheet in the background, so that also to me makes the market because if he's going to sign an offer sheet that's expensive somewhere else that know that Billy knows what the starting point would be on what the compensation for that would be if they didn't match it. So that actually puts the wild in a pretty good spot. But, um, you know, I, I just think that you know, LA Kings make a ton of sense as well. They're a team that has a lot of young prospects in the cap space. And, and remember, you know, Kevin Fiala, a lot of, you know, there's going to come a point where maybe, where maybe uh, bill Guerin has to give his agent, uh permission to talk to other teams because those teams will only want to give up a ton of assets if they know that kevin fiala is going to resign there so if you're ottawa and you think he's only going to come there for one year because he's a ufa in a year how many assets can you potentially give up you giving up the number seven overall pick for one year of kevin fiala probably not so these teams are going to probably need permission and so i think it's going to be a very yeah i would just assume
0: that would happen
1: um Matthew, Maybe that's
0: the craziest thing Billy does is finds a way to get Kevin Fiala re-signed. That, now, that would be a crazy, be, like, a be a crazy like a Fox move. That would be
1: a crazy like a Fox move. Then I'll have to have Brandon erase all the archives of the uh, last 100 worst seats in the house where I said that Fiala was going to be traded. Matthew, uh, this will be late. Um, but, uh, do you see them making any assistant coaching changes this off season, given how bad special teams are? Um, remember in December when Ke- when Dean Evison got his three-year extension, uh, the belief is the entire coaching staff got three years extensions. We know that, you know, the wild and their history don't like to have, you know a bunch of dead money in terms of contracts that they're paying other people when they're not working here. But I do so, think
0: it's a, I think it's a question worth asking. We did asking. ask that. We did yeah. ask that today and he But said I, every but reason. I think it's Dean has been a let's approach it collaboratively as a staff since he got here and it's one of the things I love about the way he runs the staff. He always has said from the start it's not my power play and his penalty kill or his power play, it's all of ours. And maybe it's time where they just put one guy in charge of it and say it's yours, you own it, and let's figure it out. Maybe it means that you need another voice, another coach that's a special team specialist of some kind. I don't know, but there's something that has to change because the this isn't a personnel problem, I don't think. I think they have the personnel to be good in both special teams area and just underachieved
1: this year. Uh, Aaron asks if Kaprizov is not allowed back in the U.S. next season for whatever reason. What's the effect on the cap? I'm actually working on a big story right now with one of our other writers at The Athletic on this uh, topic and not to scare the crap out of everybody because obviously he's got a working visa and he's expecting to be able to come back. But theoretically, if these guys are under contract and don't come back and they can't get back, they are suspended without pay and that would give the wild cap space. Um, but by then, Fiala would probably be long gone. So that's I wonder, if about.
0: you were, let's just and I know he can't, but let's say you were Billy Guerin. He can't demand that guys don't leave. No. But with what's going on in, in other parts of the world right now, wouldn't you just have a conversation and sit down and say, hey, how about you just stay in America this summer? Just- I
1: bet that conversation took place, and I bet that conversation ended quickly.
0: Yeah, probably. Um,
1: Jay Bushy, uh, Dennis Bushy's nephew, asks, do you think Fiala would take a team-friendly contract uh, to stay with the Wild? I mean, it obviously depends on what everybody's interpretation is of a team-friendly contract. I would say no. Here's a good question. Wild Boys 59, does Kalen Addison finally make an opening night roster? Same with Rossi. I would say Rossi, yes. Yes. Right now, if they don't trade a defenseman, they have seven NHL defensemen under contract if you include restricted free agent Jake Middleton. Um, You know, I could see them. Alex Goligosky's got a full no-move, so he's going nowhere. So the only other options would be John Merrill and Dmitry Kulikov or Dumba, obviously. Um, I just get this impression they don't think nearly as highly as Kalen Addison as they used to. Uh, that's just, I mean, they, they showed it all year by not really, get, you know, sending him down when they needed him, playing Jordy well, Ben over him. But I
0: think part of that was because of what the rest of the defensive core looked mm-hmm. like. I don't think necessarily their opinion of him changed. It was that how many guys that are shaped like him can be on the same blue line. And they needed... That's sort of uh, what I mean. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> you couldn't have another guy like him there. But now... Could he replace Matt Dumba? Yeah, I think he probably could. I mean, Dumba brings – I thought Billy's comments today well, – What can't remember it was Billy or Dean who just said, if you look at Dumba, like people don't realize how small a guy he is. He, I don't think Matt he,
1: Dumba realizes how small no, a guy he is. No,
0: because he tries to play a bigger game.
1: Yeah, and what are these – like he always gets himself hurt doing this. Like what are these open ice hits achieving? I, I, he needs to just chillax. Uh, monkey tweets – what are you most excited to see on your trip? The uh the trip that uh Monkey Tweets is referring to, I assume, is uh Budapest, Prague, Vienna, and Bratislava. What are you most look- likely? Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to the coffee shops in Budapest. I've heard a lot about them.
0: I'm frankly just looking forward to the whole trip because I haven't been to any of the cities, so I have no idea what to expect, but I've heard the river cu- cruise is unbelievable. It's amazing the number of people that have stopped me to say, I've been here. You're going to love it. I've been to this. I've heard Budapest might be as beautiful a city as that we've seen. Our we've buddy, seen some uh, great Hype ones. Man,
1: Paul Anderson, that comes to our things, uh, our podcast, he brought up a cigar bar, I think, to me the other day that's in uh, Budapest that we're going to have to check out. You're not a big cigar guy, though. You've got to keep two those a year. great vocal. Well, levels. two a
0: year. I can have one in the middle of the summer. I'm not going to have one the night before a game all that often. That's but true.
1: By the way, Monkey Tweets also asked after she asked about, or he, he or she, I'm not sure, asked about the... uh, You know,
0: Margo's a big cigar smoker now, so maybe we, she, you you were, oh, we sent you a picture that night. We were up at a friend's cabin. Yes. And Margo and Gianni had a cigar. And uh, How'd that go? Well, it went really well. I had flashbacks to the, the night, well, you bailed on us the night we were in Nashville where Margo who's going to let it rip. But that night we were going to have cigars. And as we're smoking the cigar, the whole night, Margo's like, this is the greatest thing ever. How did we never have cigars before? And I'm just kind of looking at her like, I'm going to, re- well, let's talk about it tomorrow morning. And if you still feel like you want to have cigars every night, we'll have another one tomorrow night. And sure enough, the next morning we didn't need cigars.
1: Uh, monkey Treats also hilariously goes, uh, you know, when asked about uh what are you most excited for on the trip, goes, uh, or should I just ask another roster question to beat a dead horse? <laughs> so true. Um, here's one. Tweet 96 goes Besides your trip this summer, sorry I can't go. What are you most looking forward to this offseason? I'm looking forward to covering the Eastern Conference final and the Stanley Cup final. What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to my cousin's wedding in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, too. That'll be fun. You know where I'm going before that, by the way? The day before? I'm flying to Cape Cod, well, Boston. Driving to Cape Cod, I'm having dinner at Judd Brackett's restaurant, The Port, you know, the steakhouse he owns with his brother, and I'm doing a big oh, yeah. Judd Brackett I feature. I do remember yeah, hearing about that. Yeah. A, it's a, pair, a high-end restaurant in really? Horwich Port, uh, Massachusetts. I'm going there, and um, going to have dinner with them, do a huge story on Judd Brackett. This is like July 27th. I'll run probably later that month or early August, and then uh, going out to Newport, Rhode Island, which I hear is amazing, to go to my cousin Andrew's wedding.
0: Well, aside from our trip, I think we've got some projects going on around our house. I'm excited to get done. New bathroom? But, uh, no, not yet. There's some other stuff happening. How many but,
1: years haven't you had a new
0: bathroom? Uh, it's it's been several, but uh, you know, I just I always I love getting out on the golf course, so I'm looking forward to some time on the course and and it's the you know I want to see if I can beat my personal best sometime this summer and. To be honest with you, it looks like it might be a more exciting summer at the ballpark than what we've had the last yeah, couple. No doubt. So it, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not of dreading going to the ballpark. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to maybe some games, some baseball yeah. games that are meaningful down the stretch.
1: A couple more questions and we'll close this out. TJ Roscoe's: what will the new reverse retro jerseys look like? I would assume that they're going to be the opposite of the whites, North Stars. So I'd go green. I'd just guess. Um, Road Rash. Yes, um I don't recall seeing many comments from Spurgeon after the playoff games, lots of Felino and others, but no Spurgeon is he like koivu and won't talk to the media. Uh no. I mean, you know, the pro- the issue is is that after these games, because we're still in press conference mode, although next season I'm hearing that we'll be back in the locker room, um, you give them three or four people, and you know, usually the three or four people just didn't include Spurge. Spurge did talk after some games. And uh, maybe we just didn't quote him. And he talked um, the in the season wrap up the other day, and he was actually really, really eloquent, really good.
0: I Um, sure hope they get back to the open locker rooms. It was amazing the number of the number of times this year I thought that we just missed. We still missed that. And where I appreciated it a little bit was we had a couple trips late in the year where Mm -hmm. we were around the team a little bit more on the road, where it was those moments of just chats standing by the bus or in the hotel lobby those are the chats you used to have inside the room and in talking to broadcasters from other teams they all were voicing the same thing that you know i've we've had guys on our team that i've never met face to face because it's only one of three guys and they get paraded into a press conference room in front of everybody you never get a chance to just get to know guys or at least get to to know what's happening in their world and I'm, I'm so anxious to get back to what life used to yeah, be like in that way pissed
1: off with minnesota sports fan uh asked alternate jerseys coming next year not to piss you off anymore but no uh i assume that with the uh with the reverse retros at the wait another year for that charles stewart asks uh who we met a couple weeks ago at uh tuttles he's the kid that came up to you wants to be a play-by-play guy oh the guy uh, from, from tcu T-S- yep tcu uh he was a nice guy. Yep. Uh, I think he's coming to Elsie's. Uh, he goes, besides the obvious Rossi, Durer, Addison, do you think any other players from Iowa could realistically make a push for the team due to our cap crunch? My guess is no. I Not mean, Durer really. would be the only one.
0: Not Maybe. very many. There just aren't very many yeah, spots.
1: exactly. Um, Aaron Treats goes, thank you for both for the show. I had to move to California for optometry school. Optometry. Cool. School and this podcast has helped me feel connected to my favorite sports team since I can't go to any games. My question is: In two years, when I move back, will the Wild have won a playoff round? That's how we're going to end the podcast. Perfect question, Anthony. In Just two, years, with, yes. Basically, basically, in two <laughs> years, yes. In two years,
0: yes. Basically, like so, two one of the there. next two seasons they will win a playoff round.
1: <laughs> uh, what makes you so positive? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the team. Bryce asks, actually, this is our last question. What specific game was your favorite to call?
0: Playoffs are tough to top, always. But this year, I still, I think maybe that the one that stands out most to me is the home opener against Winnipeg because the finish was so bizarre. But there were so many great finishes this year, so many overtime winners that the there was one power play overtime winner that stands out to me. There was the... Another with a two-on-one that I remember. I, there were just there were so many great finishes. I guess I'll go with the Winnipeg home opener game.
1: Yeah. Um, here's a funny one. Uh, do Hame Brandon. How many Duham. last questions are we gonna have? Yeah, I know this one. All right, yeah, this one. Well, this person just goes, "When you write a book someday," which I'm not gonna do. Will you please let us know what the locker room was like with Suter? This is obviously referring to Jason Arnott's uh, comments the other day. You know the interesting part of that is like look um I think that Souter, because t- t- you know Tory Mitchell did the same thing a couple months ago or maybe a year ago on um on a uh, spit and chicklets, where he basically said brought up you know sort of the country club atmosphere with with Parisian Suter here and how like they want to I think the context was and I remember this where like they were going to practice at the arena they didn't have a practice drink and next to you know they're practicing by their house at Braemar and just the power that those guys had on the team and the one thing that Suter I think has to be a little worried about now because I'm sure he's pissed off by these are not quotes is that now that guys leave the league there's no longer that belief anymore that everything stays in the locker room and now when you have all these avenues with podcasts to go on Dirty laundry is going to start to be aired. And what Jason Arnott said is is not un, un, to me not unlike what all Wild fans pretty much have read between the lines, that there were some issues here. There's a reason why he was bought out. We've said all along there was some friction there. We've made it very clear that he had sort of a bat phone to the owner, all that type of stuff. Um, you know, I think he's got to be a little worried now that now everybody that ever has a guest on that played with Ryan Suter gonna be like, so Jason Arnott said this. What was it like playing with Jason, Ryan Suter? And more and more, I think stuff that used to be kept in-house is going to start to come out.
0: I think it's likely. I thought there were two things, though. Number one is I believe this won't be the last mm-hmm. of stories that start to come out. Number two is a little interesting that there weren't very many guys that stood up on the other side and said, I had nothing but great things to say about Ryan Souter. And that, to me, would be more concerning if I were suitor that there weren't guys saying this is just one guy's opinion, this is just one guy complaining that I love playing with him or there there just there wasn't much of that that followed this
1: yep um okay, so that is the podcast. I will not be writing a book someday though um Good
0: there isn't another final question
1: no uh may 25th lc is 7 p.m that is wednesday i hope to see everybody out there it's gonna be absolutely awesome i'm sure the weather's gonna be great too just a cool cool venue great bowling great food great drinks great uh and anthony's there too and you get nothing like meeting anthony lapanta it's just a dream that's what I keep saying. Yeah. May 25th, 7 p.m. Elsie's. Thanks to our sponsors, Royal Credit Union, Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Treatments, Minnesota Propane Association, profiled by Sanford Kowalski's, Chris Sundahl Real Estate, and Bosch Law Firm. Talk to you Wednesday, everybody.
0: So much coming out, there's nothing going I know that you feel like you're never Oh,
1: but the world won't forgive a winner. We are sitting at the bar, right? Yes. All right, good.